So it really depends on what mom, dad, the participant needs. Um, but again, this is not intended to be an end stage benefit. Someone that is on the latter part of their life. It can be for someone that is just needs some help with grocery shopping, help with doctor's appointments, companionship, uh, meal preparation. I uh, even like saying making the bed. Welcome to Now or Never, long-term care strategy with Costa Yepa Fonsif, a podcast for all those seeking answers and solutions in the long-term care space. This podcast is designed to create resources, start conversations, and bring awareness to the industry that will inevitably impact all Americans. Here's your host, Costa Yepa Fonsif. Hey, y'all, this is Costa. And today I'm here with my guest, John Mosjane, co-founder and executive director of Veterans First, an agency dedicated to provide veterans and their families the support they need for independent living at home. Welcome to the show, John, and thank you for your service. John, for anyone that hasn't listened to our first episode, what is Veterans First and what service do you provide for veterans and their families? Yeah, great seeing you again, Costa. Thanks for having me on the show once again. So Veterans First is a company that was started in 2019 um, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, Since 2019, we serve nine states. And what we essentially do is we help wartime veterans and their surviving spouse obtain a underutilized benefit that is called aid and attendance. And that benefit is to use to pay for in-home care. So someone that is just simply not ready to go to a personal care home, um, a nursing home. And we don't like to say those aren't warranted because they are, but this is more of a transitional phase, if you will. Can any veteran access your service or are there stipulations on service type, income, or care requirements? Thank you for asking that. That's a common question. And I wish everyone, every veteran could receive this. Um, However, unfortunately, no, they can't. Um, there, there are criterias. So the criterias are military service, um, a medical need, and then the financials. Um, I'd like to go over those two briefly with you. So the military is my fellow veteran had to have served a minimum of 90 days of active duty service with one of those particular 90 days during a classified wartime period. Um, Now, they don't necessarily have to have served in combat. They just had to be enlisted one of those 90 days with an honorable discharge. So that's the military portion for this. The medical is we have to prove that this participant needs assistance with their activities of daily living. So unfortunately, there has to be something, Costa, that is chronic, that is not going to heal upon its own, a certain diagnosis. Where it comes to be a question is if the client has a broken femur and that's the only ailment going on, the VA is going to say when that heals, where do they warrant care? So there has to be something that's prolonged. Um, And then when it comes to the financial part, the asset limit just went up and that is now $155,323. So their home is exempt up until two acres, and they're also allowed to own one vehicle. Those two are exempt. But outside of that, it's just a little over $155,000, the asset threshold that the Department of Veteran Affairs 
puts out. Very nice. So let's dig down on three things. Number one, when you say wartime periods, can you give us some examples of like date ranges of someone that served in a wartime period? Yeah, yeah, sure. So Korea uh, started June 27th of 1950 and went to January 31st of 1955. That's a popular era right now that Mm -hmm. we see. Um, The hard part now is when someone served let's say February 2nd of 1955, that would be classified as peacetime. Wow. So they don't qualify right off the bat. Um, Mm -hmm. So it has to be during that World War II, which we don't see a lot of World War II veterans anymore, um, was December 7th, 1941. and went to December 31st of 1946. Okay. So they just had to serve one day during that, 90-day stint. Um, but the same example goes, if they served, let's say, 47 to 49, that would be considered peacetime. And you're saying that you see a lot of people that have served in Korea. Um, what about Vietnam? Has that Vietnam, started? Okay. Vietnam's a large one as well, too. Okay. Um, but we're seeing a lot of, I would say, Korea. Our staff would probably tell me Vietnam, but I might just... Well, and I'll and I'll tell you, you know, typically the the statistics around long term care is you need you have about an eighty percent chance of needing it once you turn seventy five, and so it would kind of fall in line because the individuals <coughs> that will that were um, around you know that age, you know, sure, if they served in Korea, they're probably well into their eighties, so you know, even maybe even in, into their nineties. Yeah, <laughs> that's. That's the average age of our census, unfortunately, but you can plug really? into this benefit even earlier than that. Wow. So when you were talking about ADL service types, chronic illnesses, so not a broken femur because, you know, if somebody did have a broken femur, they'll most likely sure. get rehab using Medicare and then, um, you know, have a cast and then the cast will be removed mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. that will be paid mm-hmm. through Medicare, et cetera. But the chronic illnesses that you're talking about, Give us some examples of what of what you typically go yeah, um, of course. provide so, services for. We're seeing a lot of families out there because we only speak to the next of kin initially over okay. the phone. Uh, but a lot of families are calling us because their, their dear mother or their father suffers from Parkinson's or dementia, okay. um, mm-hmm. COPD, uh, congestive heart failure. Those are the lot of um, the diagnoses that we see on a daily basis here at Veterans First. Okay. And so, and the last thing is with regards to income thresholds, $155,000 in assets. So that means that your home plus two acres does not count towards that number. Neither does your first one of your vehicles. Um, so realistically, $155,000 is, I mean, that's a lot lower than, uh, or a lot higher, I'm sorry, than what most people typically say for retirement. So I'm assuming that there are a lot of veterans out there that would qualify for these benefits. There are. There are. It's okay. just at the end of the day, it's spreading the awareness out of it that this benefit is just absolutely underutilized. Mm-hmm. And as a veteran myself and our team, a lot of veterans and surviving spouses at the same time, we have a vested interest to push this information out to everyone. Absolutely. So, John, what's the first thing that people normally ask you? And what does the process of working with you look like from that point forward? The first thing families ask us is, 
how long does it take to get someone inside to care for my dear mother who needs care right now? Mm -hmm. The process behind that is it's a proven model of success that Veterans First has. And number one, the next of kin, we speak to them over the phone to determine eligibility. We never speak to the surviving spouse over the phone. And the logic behind that, it's unfortunate, but there's a lot of predators out there now. Yeah, uh, Let's just right. be very direct. There are. Um, we don't want to speak to the person that needs the care. We want to speak to their son, their daughter, their aunt, their uncle, what have you, um, to go over the criteria, which we just spoke about a moment ago, which is military, medical, and financial. Uh, mm-hmm. The next step, after we hear verbally that they qualify, then we have an amazing internal staff here that assists the family step-by-step with each document that's needed to prove that client's case. Every family, though, is drastically different from one another, and that really comes on their asset portfolio. Mm -hmm. Military is definitive, yes and no. The medical is black and white. Where there becomes a lot of questions is, especially when someone has an IRA and there's a required minimum distribution, on that IRA because an IRA is income and an asset. It's both. Right. That's where a lot of the questions come in. Um, so we send the family a customized welcome packet that's tailored to their individual case. Um, once we have all of the documents, then we have a in-person model where each one of the states that we serve, we have a representative to go out to meet with the family face to face inside the comfort of their own home. We fill out the application. We therefore submit what is called an FDC. And that is an acronym, stands for a fully developed claim to the Mm -hmm. Department of Veteran Affairs. And then while that claim is in a pending status, um, the VA does a lot of amazing things, but they're backlogged right now. How bad is it? on these applications for three months, for six months, for 10 months. Um, Costa, let's be honest with each other right now. When your mother needs care, you don't plan for it. She needs help right now. Someone needs to go to the grocery store and get mom milk because we have jobs. Yeah. So we bridge that gap of time and allow them to begin home care immediately with one of our licensed background check agencies that we have a contractual agreement with. And then when the VA approves that claim, which could be six months, the monetary benefit that the family receives because it has to go to that participant. We simply have a signed agreement with the family that it pays us back in a (coughs) retroactive status from the date we filed it at absolutely no additional costs or fees associated. And let me unpack that and summarize it so the audience understands. When most people need long-term care, they typically um, come into the industry in crisis, whether it's a family member needing it or it's it's them themselves that need it. What you're saying is if you're a veteran and you meet these three criteria buckets, whether militarily, income, and, and medical, you don't have to wait. You can forego that waiting period and start to receive care now, on demand, essentially. Um, and and I I just have like two quick follow up questions. Um, number one, what happens? Well, 
if you could sort of drill down on what exactly the documentation looks like, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, driver's license and some financial statements, you know, but like really like what, you know, if you were going to start this process before they called veterans first, what, what should they get together? Um, but the second, but the second thing is, do they have to have that documentation or is there a way if they can't find those documents to still receive benefits through aid and attendance? Um, but the, the last thing I want to ask is how do you guys, how are you guys able to wait so long? Because like you said, the VA doesn't work very quickly and they have a pretty significant backlog. Um, do you ever have cases that you don't get funded for and you just have to, you know, say, well, you know, at least we provided that service to this veteran. We'll move on and, yeah, and, that's, and keep trucking along. Those are, those, those are good questions. And let, let me break those down one by one. Um, Number one, our website is a great point of resource and has a lot of the documents on that, which is just for all the viewers, it's www.veterans, that's plural, veteransfirst, spout out, dot US. Um, but let me give you a, a case that would be an elevated, escalated case, which is a married veteran. Um, some of the documents right away is the DD-214, which is also just known as the discharge papers. Um, a married married veteran, you have to show the marriage license. Also, when a, there's a married veteran's case, they go off of both forms of income, the veteran and his or her spouse. So both forms of income are accounted for. Um, the VA likes to look at everything on a quarterly basis. So bank statements, um, 1099s if there's pensions, um, supplemental health care policies, which counts for a reoccurring monthly medical expense. So if someone has a, a policy with Blue Cross Blue Shield and they pay a premium every month of $89, we need to see that statement to show that there is an accounted expense. Um, when it comes to the military, the medical, that's pretty basic, straightforward. It's really when it comes to the financials of that part. Um, you asked a great question about not being reimbursed by the VA. Inside our office here at Veterans First, we have close to 45 years of collective experience with submitting these claims to the Department of Veteran Affairs. So without looking at an Excel spreadsheet right now, of course, but we're very close to 99% with all claims being fully funded. Good. Yeah. So there's stability and longevity in the business and, and the, in the agency. And that's good. That's very good. And, you know, a lot of people, they think that, you know, insurance just doesn't pay, but that just means that you're not asking hard enough, at least in my experience. Yeah. And I know, obviously yeah. we're talking about insurance and veterans, sure. there's sure. two different things, but they sometimes seem to operate in the same capacity. One, one more quick follow-up question. Um, what happens if you don't have documentation to support it? Like, do you have resources where people can go to get those discharge papers to get, um, like, how do you, how do you coach those families that yeah. don't have access to yeah. the documents? Great point. So number one, we have to have a solid next of kin in order okay. for a case to come to fruition. But let's say we okay. have a, a, you know, a very strong next of kin, but they said that we don't have X, Y, and Z. So the DD-214, 
there's an electronic way that we can assist a family to obtain one electronically. And okay. that has been moved along quite quickly. So you can receive that in about a couple of weeks. Um, when it comes to the medical, that's a simple process of just sending a form to their physician that needs to be filled out. Um, mm-hmm. It's really when it comes to the bank statements. Um, the bank statements are owned by the client themselves. So it's just calling the bank saying we need okay. this. Nice. Um, so it's not as difficult as we all try to make things in life. Uh, I'm the biggest advocate of that myself. You, you know, you make excuses for something, but at the mm-hmm. end of the day, we're just trying to get care for our mother, our father, our aunt and uncle. So when is the best time for families to contact veterans first? And is there a preferable age or circumstance? Yeah. So it's, it's really a case by case scenario. Um, everyone lives a different lifestyle behind closed doors. Um, let me just give you the formals here. You're able to obtain this benefit as young as 65 years of age. But you remember when we talked, when you asked that question, what does it take to qualify? And I said, right. you have to prove that you need assistance with your ADLs. So if someone is 68 years of age and they're diagnosed with COPD, that's a qualifying diagnosis right off mm-hmm. the bat. So it really depends on what mom, dad, the participant needs. Um, but again, this is not intended to be an end stage benefit. Someone that is on the latter part of their life. It can be for someone that is just needs some help with grocery shopping, help with doctor's appointments, companionship, uh, meal preparation. I even like saying making the bed. So, John, let me let me ask you this. All right. If you serve in the military, you get free college, you get free health care. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's other things that I haven't even listed in there that you probably receive for your service because what you're what you're doing is the bargain is, you know, you're essentially putting your life at risk and your life on hold to make sure that the country and the citizens of the country are free. The one of some of the most traumatic experiences, and we've been doing this show for a while now, and we've talked to a lot of people. And one of the through lines when it comes to long, long-term care is how everything ends, essentially the trauma behind it all. And it's not just grief from somebody passing, but it's, it's what you and I experience when we talk to individuals that are most likely and in, in oftentimes in crisis. They didn't prepare for long-term care. They need help. They don't have the financials to pay for it. I know you're not a Medicaid expert, so I'll ask you about Medicaid and if you know any of those any of the Medicaid benefits jeopardize the VA benefits. But the real question that I want to ask you is why doesn't the VA make the process easier like they do with college tuition and the and the VA hospitals and free healthcare? Great question, Costa. So the VA, I believe, does a phenomenal job everything that they do. Notice I said everything. There's a lot. Yeah. It's hard to be amazing at a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. So the VA is made up of three separate administrations. 
And this is what Veterans First loves educating professionals. Uh, the, the first is the healthcare administration. That's where okay. the veteran, either he or she, can get and obtain health care. The second is the funeral and death benefits, the burial. And then the last is the aid and attendance and the pension. So every department does their own separate thing. I don't like to say it's, it's, it's confusing. It is confusing. It's just knowing where to go. Right. You don't want to speak to the, the pension and aid and attendance about getting your father plugged in into the healthcare. Right. Because they don't talk to one another. Are they all located in D.C.? You know, that's a phenomenal question. I don't know <laughs> that answer definitively. I know I they have say, hubs. Yeah. There's hubs. And when you call 1-800, you know, help VA. And that's sure. just being joking right now on this Friday morning. Of course, um, <laughs> you can get pushed to different areas. Okay. Because I was going to say, you know, you might as well just go ahead and <laughs> open up an office right next to the attendance and pension benefit office. Right. Just like literally across the street. You know? And that way you can just walk over there instead of calling. Just knock on the door, right? If it was that right, easy. Exactly. <laughs> Probably do it myself. Right. Exactly. So, but real quick, though, does Medicaid, if you do qualify uh, for Medicaid as well as receiving the veterans um, in attendance benefit, does, do they work in tandem? Do they are they counterintuitive to one another? Do you have any experience with that? Yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely talk fluid in that. So every state is different. OK, um, when we have a, an applicant that calls our office, one of the first questions we ask them is, is your mother, is your father currently on Medicaid or are you thinking to apply for Medicaid? Um, if they say <laughs> yes, then we advise them to contact their county assessment office okay, and ask to speak to their caseworker and make their caseworker aware that they are contemplating and applying for a veteran's pension or a survivor's pension with aid and attendance and ask them if that will jeopardize their Medicaid benefits. Because if their income is low enough, you can have both. Okay, nice. Uh, we have so there's no primary. right now that we're not ed educated about this. Again, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And now they're receiving Medicaid benefits. They're receiving waiver hours. And now they're receiving a survivor's pension with aid and attendance. Who is the, this may be too technical of a question, but who is the primary payer? VA or Medicaid? It's a great question, Costa. Like who trumps who? Questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would like to say Medicaid because if they have that first you know, mm -hmm. that takes precedent. Right. But then I'm biased because I'm a veteran myself, of course. So I'm going to say that that sweet survivor spouse should get this benefit. So that should be precedent, right? But right. I'm biased. Right. Okay. Well, that's okay. <laughs> so uh, as we wrap up, in the veterans affairs, and I'm sorry, in the veterans benefits realm, there are many services that offer many different benefits. Are there any providers you'd recommend our listeners to learn more about? Yeah, of course. Uh, let me give you a website for all the viewers to see that. And that's that's sure. the VA, which is www.va.gov. It's an exceptional website. And I, I, I can explain. So I, I jotted down some notes before we had this uh, this meeting together. So you can learn about how to obtain health care 
for your mother or father, if they're not already plugged into it, um, they may not be plugged into healthcare because they went through the private sector and they worked their entire life. But they can go back to that website, apply for healthcare right on the website. Um, housing assistance, if they need some support with housing, um, life insurance, um, and even burials and memorials. So that's all okay. on www.va.gov. It's a great resource. Um, we try not to recommend individual companies just because we don't know leadership. Sometimes they change, move over. So I, I don't sure. want to talk about that. <laughs> that's great. Can they find certain providers on the VA website or is that a, a network that you have to go through a company like Veterans First to access? You have to go through either the VA or okay. Veterans First because the VA is not going to push out which company is a healthcare provider mm, because those things change. I see. Makes sense. Um, but so, I do want to add something up. You, you uh-huh. maybe go just ahead. think of something. If, if you're, if your loved one needs care through the VA and they are authorized home care hours through the VA, and you would like to work with a specific provider, home care agency, you can let the social worker know at the VA, I would like to have care under X and name that specific provider. And then that social worker can write an auth so that agency can receive that client. Makes sense. So they have the choice. Correct. Correct. Nice. So we always like to end the show with a call to action. What is your advice to veterans and their families on how to make the most of their veterans benefits and aging plan? Number one, get educated. Know what's out there. Know the three administrations that we spoke about, healthcare administration, um, funeral and death benefits, aid and attendance and pension. Um, Like I mentioned, the VA is a great resource, www.va.gov. When it comes to Veterans First, again, we help veterans and their surviving spouse bridge that gap so they remain in their own home, staying as independent as they possibly can before they have to transition into a personal care home. So number one, get educated. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Now or Never, Long-Term Care Strategy with Costa Yepafonsif. If you enjoyed listening and you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review, or better yet, share this episode with a friend. Today's episode was written and produced by Morgan Franklin, production assistance by Mike Franklin. Want to find out more about Costa? Visit us at costayepafonsif.com. 